our way through Galatians chapter 3. It's kind of like Paul is coming at this idea of the sufficiency of Christ for justification and righteousness and that it's by faith that he comes at it from all these different angles, sorting through all the different arguments that might come his way. And so um, we're looking forward to the message tonight. What I want to do is once you find your place there, Galatians chapter 3, you can stand in honor of God's word and uh, I want to begin reading in verse number six, just because, again, this is a continuing thought. Like I said, all these things are kind of working together to to combat the false teaching that was going on there. And so I want to begin reading in verse six, because our text is going to allude to some of these things as well. So Galatians chapter three, verse six, even as Abraham, Abraham, I'm see, I'm going to mess that up. because I'm preaching through Genesis on Sunday nights right now, and we're in the life of Abraham, and his name is still Abram, and so I'm studying for Abram, and I'm studying for Abraham here. There's great parts in that as far as enhancing the understanding of Galatians chapter 3 in particular, but it's going to mess up the name, so if I mess that up, just you know what I mean. So even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now here's our text in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We'll stop our reading there. The title of our message tonight is In the Clear from the Curse. In the Clear from the Curse. May God bless his word. You can be seated. My mom's going to love how I start this message tonight. When I was a kid, we would visit my grandpa's house in Enid, Oklahoma. And uh, my, my, me and my brothers, my cousin, so we, would, we would play this game called Sticks. And uh, what we'd do is uh, when it got about dusk at night, we'd go out into the trees and we'd pick up all the sticks that we possibly could. And then we'd take this big old pile of sticks and we'd go throw it out in the road. And then we would go and hide wherever we could behind trees, cars, the house, whatever it was. Well, we were little at this point, okay, so we weren't like teenagers. At least I don't, I don't recall being teenagers when we were doing this. We might have still been teenagers doing this. I think last time I was at my cousin's house this last summer, he, he said, you remember when we used to go play sticks? You know, and sure did. But we would go and hide, and then these cars would drive by. And not anticipating it, they'd run them over. And it would sound like gunfire and firecrackers going off. And then they would slam on their brakes and we're all hiding and we get a good laugh and a good chuckle out of it. And, and we sit there and wait. The person would stop and they would 
kind of look around, maybe put their windows down. Sometimes they'd yell things out the window at us, and, you know, we're just kids over there cracking up at this. And then the car would drive off, and, you know, sometimes we would get in trouble. My mom would come out yelling at us. I remember my grandpa with his gruff voice coming yelling at us, you boys quit throwing them sticks in the road. And so we just, we had a great time. But as the dust settles and they drive off and mom and grandpa's not yelling at us, then we're sitting there quietly. Are we in the clear? Are we in the clear? You know what that means? Are we out of the woods here? Are we, are we free and clear? Is there anybody there? Are we out of danger? Are we out of the facing of judgments? You know, are we free here? And so we'd say, are we in the clear? Well, when you're in the clear, it means there's no judgment. It means that there's no trouble. There's no consequences to face. You're in the clear. Well, someone who's been accused of a crime, we know that they'll go to any length, spend any amount of money necessary to try to clear their name. They'll hire lawyers and they'll uh, hire some other people, to, investigators to try to settle this thing. But what they'll do is they'll come up with, they can come up with any excuse, they can come up with any argument and do every single thing they can to be cleared of the crime and of its consequences. But the best way, the best way for their name to be cleared is for somebody else to be able to take the stand and to testify that they knew of this person's whereabouts at this time of the accusation. They needed an alibi. And so if they want their name to be cleared, Somebody's got to stand up for them and testify to their innocence. Well, every one of us are born into this world as fallen sinners, sinners who are justly, justly accused before God of our sinful actions. And we'll come up with every excuse imaginable. We'll spend every dime giving to the church or giving to charitable uh, contributions and those kind of things. We'll do as many good things as we can in order to clear our names of our sin and of the curse and the consequences of our sin. But all our attempts, all of our efforts will come up short. They'll come up short. They can never be good enough to justify us in the eyes of a pure and holy God. You know what we really need? We need somebody who can stand up for us. Somebody who can take the seat. Somebody who can testify on our behalf Declare us innocent, declare us guilt-free, declare us cleared of all charges. That's really what we need. Well, as we come to our text, Paul is continuing to uh, show the Galatian believers that the work of the law can never clear their names before God. The works of the law will never do it. He showed them that even Abraham, he believed God, and it was his belief, it was his faith that God counted to him for righteousness. And the only way that you find yourself under the same blessing and the same righteousness that Abraham had is to manifest the same faith that Abraham manifested. And so here's the question that we need to ask ourselves tonight. How can we be cleared of the charges that are against us? How can we be clear of the curse of the law is how I'm going to put it. That's how our text addresses it tonight. And you might be thinking, well, what is the curse of the law? We'll explain a little bit about that, but it doesn't sound good, and it sounds like you need to be cleared from it. And so how does that happen? Well, Paul begins here in verse 10 by explaining that those who live after the law are under the curse of the law. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under 
the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And so what what's going on here is he's explaining to them that the only way to obtain righteousness by the works of the law is to keep it perfectly and pristinely, to never mess up. Because the truth is what he does, he quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26 here to show them that man is responsible to keep every part of the law. That, that if you break one law, then you're guilty of the whole law. And so what happens then is that breaking the law brings you under the curse of the law, is what he said. Those that are of the works of the law are under the curse. Well, what is the curse of the law? The curse of the law are the consequences of breaking it. What are the consequences? And, of course, the law is pretty lengthy. You know, from Exodus through Deuteronomy, there's a lot of instructions, a lot of commandments, a lot of consequences in there. But as you study it out, there are three predominant consequences that really stand out to you. One is you can become unclean, ceremonially unclean before God. That is a consequence of breaking the law. Another one is that you face separation. Separation from the community, separation from family. And then, of course, another one, and the final one is death, death. And so when you, you know, when you touch a dead body or you touch a dead animal or if you are declared to be, uh, or well, no, not that yet. I'll get to that in just a second. But if, you're, if you touch a dead animal, if you touch somebody that's got leprosy or if you touch something that's been defiled or you eat something that's been defiled, then you're declared ceremonially unclean. That's a consequence. If you are declared to have leprosy, if you have some kind of running issue of blood, or if you're, uh, you would have to be separated from your friends, separated from your family, separated from the camp. And so there's the idea of separation here. If you committed manslaughter, then you would have to flee to the city of refuge, leaving your family behind until the death of the high priest. And so that the avenger of blood could not come and kill you. And if you walked out of the city of refuge, then you were fair game, essentially. And so there's that idea of separation. And then, of course, the severe consequence of death would come if you murdered somebody, if you committed blasphemy, if you committed adultery, if you participated in idolatrous practices, or if you stubbornly rebelled against your parents. Boy, if we went back to that punishment, we'd have a lot more respectful little kids, wouldn't we? (laughs) But that was a consequence of the law to refuse to obey the parents. And so the curse of the law, we could basically boil it down to this, uncleanness, separation, and death. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that if you break even one small facet of the law, that is what you face, uncleanness, separation, and death. And so whoever breaks the law faces that punishment. Now, there were uh, ways to be Uh, declared clean again. There were ways to be uh, reinstituted into the community. There were ways to avoid death, and that was through the atoning sacrifice of an innocent lamb. And if you consider the picture there, you would separate the firstborn lamb from your flock. They would slit that lamb's throat, which would make it unclean, and then they would offer that lamb up for burnt offering. It would die. And so you could see that substitutionary side of things, that for the sin to be atoned uh, uh, for, that the lamb would be separated, unclean, and put to death. And so that was the only way. Well, what Paul is saying here is that if you, 
If you break one facet of the law, that is the consequence that you face, the curse of the law. Okay, so how is this curse put away? How do we, how do we avoid facing this curse? Well, he's going to start here. It's not by the works of the law. Surprise. Verse 11, he says this, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. You know what he's saying? There's evidence. There's evidence that nobody is declared righteous before God by the works of the law. Nobody, even in the Old Testament. He says, in, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4 here. He says, here's the evidence for, it's written basically, the just shall live by faith. Think again, that word just is righteous. That the righteous live, the righteous are so by faith. And then he contrasts that in verse 12 and he says, the law is not a faith. It's, it's not about faith. You're not getting righteousness by faith when you're trying to keep the works of the law. You're trying to get righteousness by the works of the law. And so he says, it's not faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. You know how those who keep the works of the law find life, find eternal life? Through keeping the law. They live in the law. Well, that presents a huge problem. And the reason why is if they're depending on their perfect fulfilling of the law. Because again, that's what he's talking about in verse number 10. Is if they're going to find true life, if they're going to find righteousness, if they're going to find eternal life with God, then they are going to have to keep the works of the law exactly perfect. No breaking any of it. That's a problem because the reality is, is that they could not. They could not. And it would be proven in the Old Testament. And so if they're depending on their perfect fulfilling of the law of righteousness before God, they will never get it because they can't keep the law perfectly. And the truth of the matter is, neither can you and neither can I. All it takes is one lie to be under the curse of the law. All it takes is one impure thought, one blasphemous word, one breaking of the Sabbath, one cross word towards your parents, one angry outburst towards your kids or to your spouse. Uh, for all the good that you try to do to earn favor and righteousness before God, it means nothing if you break one law. It means nothing. And so righteousness by the law is completely impossible task because every one of us are born into this world a fallen sinner. We're born that way. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so what that means is that through Adam's sin, it passes through the bloodline of every single individual that sin is just simply within us. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. You don't have to teach a kid how to be disrespectful. You don't have to teach a kid how to say bad words. They just kind of start doing it. They pick up on things and they start doing it themselves. They start lying themselves. They start crying and screaming even from the time they're an infant when they're not hungry, when their diaper's clean, when they just want mama to hold them and they're just being little selfish babies. They're sinners is why. None of us can keep the law, which means this. All of us are under the curse. So what is the solution here? If, we're tr if trying to obtain righteousness before God by the works of the law is impossible and breaking the law brings you under the curse of the law, namely uncleanness, separation, and death, then how do you break the curse of the law? How can you be cleared from the curse of the law? Well, the bad news is you can't. You can't. That's what Paul's telling us. But the good news is there's somebody who can. Look at verse 13. He says this. Christ hath redeemed us 
from the curse of the law. He's redeemed us. You know that word redeemed, it means to buy back. The idea of going into the food market and buying food or buying animals, that's the idea, is that they would give money in exchange for that. They would redeem that to be their own. Or you can think of when you go to an arcade, like uh, Chuck E. Cheese or Boondocks. You go there and you put in your token and you play the game and you win the, the ticket. And on many of those tickets, it'll say, well, now they're mostly cards, I guess. They don't do much tickets anymore. But when you had tickets, they would say, redeem this coupon for a prize, something like that. So you would take your your big, long strand of folded up tickets and you take that and there's 5,000 of them there if you spent a long time there. And you take those tickets and you'd exchange them and you would buy a prize from the store. That's this word redeem. It's also used in the context of paying the ransom price in order to exchange the, for the freedom of a slave. That somebody's been enslaved, somebody's been in bondage. And so somebody says, I want to go and I want to set this family member free. I want to set this friend free. And so I'm going to pay whatever their debt is, whatever the ransom price is, and they're going to go free. It says Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's saying that's what Christ has done for us. Well, how did he do that? It says being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so now he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23 here and says that, that every person who hangs on a tree is cursed. And so what this means is that when Jesus was nailed to the cross and he was lifted up on high on the hill called Golgotha or Mount Calvary, that he took the full and complete curse of the law upon himself. He was the final sacrifice. I mean, let's consider what he went through. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know what that means? Jesus literally became unclean so that we could become clean. He was separated from his disciples, separated from his mother, separated from his brothers, separated from his friends, and he was forsaken by God and separated from him, and he was put to death on the cross of Calvary. And so what that means is he literally took the, the, the curse of the law upon himself as he became unclean, and he became separated, and he died for our sin. Why? So that we could be freed to redeem us from the curse of the law. And he who did keep every line of the law, did that on our behalf. And in doing so, he paid the price so that we who were enslaved to sin, incapable of keeping the law and eternally bound to the curse of the law, could be made free. And so for Jesus to remove the curse from us, he had to take it upon himself as he hung there on the cross of Calvary. Why would he do that? Verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus go and hang on that tree? Why did he take the curse of the law upon himself in order that we might go free? Why did he do that? He says that, that the blessing of Abraham, what is that talking about? It's talking about the righteousness from verses 6 through 8, how he received righteousness by faith because he believed God would do what he could not do. God counted that to him for righteousness. And so this particular blessing that we're talking about is the blessing of being justified and righteous before God. And so what this means is that you had the heathen, the Gentiles, 
Gentiles, those who were without the covenants of promise, those who were estranged from the law, estranged from the people of God, those who were alienated and separated from God. They were enemies in their mind by wicked works. That's who we as Gentiles were. And it says that Jesus went to the cross and he took upon himself the curse of the law so that if we would come to Jesus Christ by faith, that we could have the blessing of Abraham, that we could be declared righteous, that we could be made free and justified before God. And so he came and he did that for us, not through circumcision, not through becoming a Jew, not through the works of the law and dietary laws and keeping holy days and Sabbath days and all those things. But no, he says in verse 14, through Christ, it was through Christ. And so the righteousness, though, that Jesus provided is not just the righteousness that comes at salvation, but rather it is the righteousness that is lived out in those who are saved. Well, how is that possible? It says at the end of verse 14, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. See, righteousness comes not by the works of the law, but rather it comes by faith in Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that he provided for us at the cross of Calvary. And so it's not the works of the law that make you righteous before God. It's the Spirit of God who enables those who are made righteous before God to live righteously today, not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So how is it then? How is it then that people who are under the curse of the law, enslaved to sin, are made righteous before God? Is it by the works of the law as these teachers were professing it to be? Well, no way. No, those who are cursed by sin can only be blessed by righteousness because Christ came and became cursed on our behalf. In other words, here's the truth is that Christ became cursed so the curse could be cleared. That's what he came to do. See, he perfectly fulfilled the law because you couldn't. And he went to the cross and he hanged there himself and he became a curse and he took your sin upon himself and he became unclean and he became separated from God and he, and he died. He took every consequence that was rightfully ours upon himself. He paid the price so you could be justified before God. He became cursed so you could be cleared. And so no matter how hard you try, no matter how uh, or you can never you can never clear your own name from the curse of the law. All your righteousness will be tainted by the tiniest of your own sins. If you try to obtain righteousness through your own good works and by the works of the law, then in the end, you'll come up short and you'll die in your sin. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no way that our righteousness could be enough. Why? Because God is perfect. God is holy. He's pure. There's no attaining to his level of righteousness unless he gives it to us himself. And that happened through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And so if you come up short and you die in the curse of the law, you face the eternal consequences of sin. But if you place your faith in that sacrificial substitutionary death of Christ, then God credits your bankrupt account with the sinless righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he makes it possible for you to stand before God justified, cleared from all charges and cleared from the consequences of that sin. And I've got to tell you this. That Christ didn't clear you from the curse of the law just so you could go back to it again. 
That's really Paul's message to them. Why would you, why would you, or why would Christ free you from the law only for you to have to go back to the law again? He says that, that makes the death of Christ of none effect. He says at the end of, of chapter 2 that Christ is dead in vain, if that's the case. And so he, he says that Christ didn't clear you from the curse of the law, so you would just go back to it, to it again. He didn't cur- free you from the curse of sin, so you'd just go back to sin right again. Uh, he didn't clear you so that you'd go back to fornication and pornography and adultery. He didn't clear you so that you would go back uh, to cursing and blasphemy or so that you'd go back to drunkenness and drugs and, and gambling. He cleared you to give you liberty from sin but you don't find liberty from sin by keeping holy days you don't find liberty from sin by keeping dietary laws or by being circumcised nor do you find liberty by setting up just a bunch of standards and rules and regulations in your life they might they might be helpful they might serve as guides in your life but the reality is is just as we have curbs to keep us off the sidewalk sometimes you can still end up on the sidewalk And that happens in our lives. You can set up these lists of rules and regulations that you're going to follow, and you can be keeping those line for line and yet be messing up in secret in your own home. But Christ already provided you with the means of living life in the clear of the curse. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has sealed you until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit cleanses you and he convicts you when you do things that you know you're not supposed to do. He convicts you. He pricks your heart when you look at that image, when you click on that website or you watch that TV show or, or that movie. He pricks your heart when you lie to keep yourself out of trouble. He, he prods and pries at you when you go off in a rage at your spouse or at your kids. See, he works that way in our lives. Why? To produce righteousness in us. To, to, to make us right with God. Now, see, Jesus' death on the cross made us right before God in heaven. The work of the Holy Spirit makes us right before God in this life when we're still living with a sin nature. You know, have, you have dogs that bark like crazy. They just bark, 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 especially the little yappy ones. Well, when a dog barks uncontrollably at every single person, including people in the family, how do people normally handle that? Well, they get a shock collar. Right. That's inhumane. Okay, it's not killing them. It's just teaching them. You know what it does? You put that collar on them and when they bark, you know, they bark and it gives them just a little jolt, just a little zap. And and they try to bark again and it does it again. And so what's the purpose of that is to try to keep them from barking uncontrollably. They also have the uh, invisible fences. You know, you bury the electric fences. If you've got a dog that's prone to stray and wander and keeps running off, well, it's dangerous out there. Somebody could hit him with a car or a bicycle here. Somebody could, uh, somebody could steal that dog and claim it as their own. And so it's, it's a dangerous world out there. And so people will set up these fences to train their dogs. And so then they put this collar on them. And, and when they cross that line, it gives them a a little jolt and it gives them a little jolt and another one. Why? So that eventually it gets to the point where you can take the collar off and you can remove the fence and they still stop right there. Why? Because they're trained. Listen, that's really how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We have the tendency to be pretty barky too, don't we? 
uh, husbands barking at their wives and wives barking at their husbands and parents barking at the kids and the kids barking at their parents and barking at your boss and barking at your employees. I mean, we can just get so nasty and so mean and so hateful and people can bark swear words and bark blasphemy. And what happens is the Holy Spirit in your life, once you get saved and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, then when you the next time that you say a cross word, the Holy Spirit kind of, ugh, shouldn't have said that. The next time you go off at your wife, the Holy Spirit says, ah, that wasn't right. The next time you go off at your kids in a, in a fit of rage, the Holy Spirit pricks you. He pries you. He prods you and he jolts you and he says, you got to quit living like this. Why? Because that's not who Christ is. And you're called to live like Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help you grow to become more and more like Christ every single day. And that's one of the ways that he works is convicting you of sin and working in your life. Because we're kind of prone to wander too, aren't we? We're prone to go our own way to think we've got our own way to, to get our own job, to get our own retirement. We've got our own way to go to a specific place that we want to go to, a place that we know that we shouldn't be. And, and we want to go our own way and we want to pursue our own ambitions and, and we want to go away from the word of God. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, you know what the Holy Spirit does is when you step foot in that forbidden place, God says, you shouldn't be doing that. And you know it. And when, whenever you go out with that person and God says, this isn't the kind of person you should be going out with. And whenever you end up going and wasting your money in, in gambling or when you go and just waste your money on meaningless things. I mean, there are people who just spend all day long on Amazon buying things they have no intention to use. The Holy Spirit of God could say, hey, that could go to missions. <laughs> Every time you go through the Starbucks line twice a day, he says, you could have given that cup to missions and maybe somebody will get saved. I'm not saying that happens to everybody. What I am saying is this, that we, we tend to go away from God. And when we go away from God, the Holy Spirit gets us and says, no, you need to get back where God wants you to be. You know what that does? Makes you righteous. It keeps you doing the right things, saying the right things. It keeps you sitting in a church pew under the sound preaching of the word of God instead of wandering off on your own and trying to figure out life on your own. No, the Holy Spirit serves to help you live like Christ. You know what our responsibility is? To submit to him. You see, when the Holy Spirit is functioning in your life like that fence, you know what can happen for those dogs? I mean, the, the jolt is just right there when they're over it. But when they get through it, if they push through it and they fight through it, then they can be free to go on the other side. And you know what? That happens a lot in our lives, too. That what can happen is the Bible calls it quenching the Holy Spirit. It calls it grieving the Holy Spirit of God. That when you are trying to go your own way and he pricks at your life and he prods at your life and he convicts you and he jolts you and he does it time and time again. That as you look at that, he convicts you and you look at it again and he convicts you and you go to another site and he convicts you and you go to be with this person and he convicts you and you say those kind of words and he convicts you that what can happen is you can you can burr up and you can say, no, I'm not going to do what the Holy Spirit wants me to do here. I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to go my own way. You know what happened? Eventually you'll resist and you'll resist and you'll resist and you won't even feel the jolts anymore. And before you know it, you're off doing things you shouldn't be doing. 
completely away from God, living your own life, never stepping foot in church anymore, never picking up a Bible to read. And what you find is you're doing exactly what the Galatians feared, living in licentiousness rather than in righteousness. But what Paul wants us to get today is that it's not the works of the law that are going to clear you from the curse. It's Christ. And the reason why Christ can clear you from the curse is because he took it upon himself already. And when you come to him, not by the works of the law, but you come to him by faith, he forgives your sin. He gives you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and to make you righteous now in the same way you'll be righteous then before God. But the reality is, is that we all do mess up. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell them here is that Christ didn't clear you from the curse just so you'd go back living under the curse again. We're not talking about losing your salvation here, but we are talking about this. It's possible for you to get saved and to go back to living just like you were before you got saved. And he's saying that's not the way that Christ would have it. No, he gave you the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to purge you from sin, and to make you righteous. And now what you need to do is submit to his leadership in your life, and he can make you righteous. The cursed become cleared because Christ became cursed. And the only way for you to be cleared of your sin is to trust in Christ's sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross. And Christ did not clear you to live in sin, but to live for him. And he's equipped you if you'll live your life by faith, not by works, not trying to get righteousness by following a list of rules and regulations or by going back to the Old Testament law. But you can live righteous even today the same way that you got saved, and that is by faith. That when you're just depending on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you and you're sensitive to his will and sensitive to his pricking and prodding work in your life, he'll make you righteous. He'll clear you. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the time in your word. And I'm thankful for the truth 